All right, so before we start, let's say a word of prayer. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is present on me and in these people, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit is working to teach us, opening our hearts and minds to your word. I pray, Lord, that there would be no distractions, no concerns, but we would fully focus, Lord, on what you would have for us today. And we would go away from here renewed in your love and in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So like uh, Steve was trying to say, I'm going to be do, going through the second uh, letter that John wrote to the churches of the time. And I think I'm just going to take just a second here to talk about what that time looked like. And so this is a time in history, it's, it's 50 plus years after Jesus had ascended. Uh, John's an older man, he's 90-ish, uh, and he's writing to these churches and giving them, most of the time, reminding them of the teachings, trying to help keep them strong. And so John does this uh, in this time as well. What's going on outside the church, however, is extremely difficult for the, for the church uh, people. Uh, the emperors, by this time, a couple of emperors from Rome into it, are truly, cruelly, horrible, oppressive emperors who have outlawed Christianity. Uh, it was punishable sometimes by death or torture or whatever the whim of the emperor was at the moment. And these are some really cruel bad guys. And the pressure that they lived under in order to proclaim that they followed Jesus was more than you and I could possibly imagine. Uh, the current emperor, which was Domitian, he actually went on to boil John in oil before he was... And, and it didn't kill him, by the way. He survived it, if you can imagine. Then he was then banished to the island of Patmos where he lived out the rest of his days. And so this is the kind of pressure that they lived under. And, and we know some persecution in the church. And, and in our nation, it's getting more and more difficult to say that you're a follower of Christ without getting just shoved to the side and pushed under a bus. However, none of us in this country, in this day, have any idea what most of the world has had to endure for centuries as far as real persecution. You might say, well, well, I'd die for my faith, and you probably would. But what if, the, what if it was a different choice? What if your oppressor said, you denounce your faith or we kill your son? How hard would that be? We're going to take your daughter and we're going to torture her. We're going to kill your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your whole family. Or, or we're just going to cut their arms off or their fingers off. These are the kind of things, that, that's the period of time we're talking about back when John wrote this letter to these people who are trying to hang on to their Christian faith. They're in it, man. There's no lightweights. You're either in the church or you're out because it's just too risky. So on that light note, <laughs> we're going to get into the text here. So John's writing this letter. Uh, and we're going to start just with the first uh, greeting here section. It says, the elder to the elect lady and her children. Now, this is the elder. John calls himself the elder here, so that's John. He doesn't identify himself by name. And the, the elect lady would be the, the church, so whatever particular local body he's writing to. And his children, of course, would be the individual members of the church. And this is not an uncommon uh, grammatical thing that they did in, in letters of the time. So that's, what he's, that's who he's addressing. He says, to the, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. He's saying, I love you. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. All the believers love all the believers. Because of the truth that abides in us 
and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Now, this is just the greeting, and John's already preaching a message here. Do you see a couple of key, uh, key elements here that you've seen all the way through 1 John, which, which is love and truth? Truth and love. And every time John talks about these things, they are, they are undeniably linked, inseparable. You can't have one without the other. And that's that you always see him bring it this way. And he goes out of his way sometimes to make this the point. And he shapes this greeting right off the bat, um, drawing this, this idea about love, but not just that he loves or all those that believe love. They be loved because the truth abides in them. And this is going to be key as we talk about what's, what, 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 what John's going to kind of flow into in the second half of this passage. So initially, it's like, hey, God abides in you. Jesus abides in you. Therefore, the love of God abides in you. Does that sound familiar at all when he talks about Jesus and the truth and love? Because it should, it should ring a little bit familiar. Back in the Gospels, John also uh, talked about this, and he wrote uh, a little historical piece where he talked about what Jesus himself said about this love and truth and abiding. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, he was teaching his disciples, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He defines himself, he identifies himself as not having those things or able to offer those things. He says, I am those things. I am the way. There's, no, there's, there's only one way, it's me. There's only one truth, it's me. There's only one life, it's me. These are Jesus' words. This is not like secondhand or thirdhand. And then if just a few verses later, he talks about, he says this. This is Jesus again. He says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. You see, the truth of Jesus is also in God. If God is in Jesus and Jesus is in God, then everything of God is also in Jesus. And later on, we'll find that Jesus then, when he was speaking with his his followers, he said, and I'm going to have to go away. This is after he had been crucified and buried and rose again. He said, I'm going to have to go away so that another will come and he's going to be the Holy Spirit because Jesus was God with us, Emmanuel. The Holy Spirit was going to be God in us. See, in the Old Testament, God is over us. God lived in some location in this, in this building, in this temple. And in, in the first part of the New Testament, when Jesus was walking on the earth, Jesus is with us. So if Jesus is with you in Galilee, he's not with somebody in Nazareth. If Jesus is with somebody in Nazareth, he can't be with them in Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit can be both. It's the Holy Spirit of God. They're all inseparable. So it's, it's not like, oh, if you have God, you can have the Holy Spirit and not have God. If truth is in you, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in you. And this is key as we start talking about what it means to love. 
And those are Jesus' words, so they're pretty hard to argue with. But John, in his greeting, then also says this. He says, and as a result, what results from this abiding in us of Jesus, the truth of Christ in us? What's the result? And the result is this. We have grace, mercy, and peace. Not just for ourselves, but we have it to offer to others. And specifically, he's talking about people in the church. So this is the way they interact together. Remember the commandment that we just read was that you love one another. He's speaking to the church, the believers. But what's the source? What's the source of our grace, peace, and mercy? What's the source of our love? The expression, our ability to express our love, the source is the holy presence of the Spirit of God in us. Without that presence, there's no love. Without that presence, there's no truth. It's God in three parts, but one. So back to the point here. So, so if I were going to wrap up so this, just, this, just this greeting portion, just, hey, how are you doing? And by the way, I'm going to preach a little sermon here. Here's kind of the takeaways from just the first part of that passage. First of all, if the truth of God abides in us, we are then able, and not just able, but called, because he reminded them of the commandment, we're able and called to love one another. But the, the corollary to that, just the actual default position then, would be the second point here. If the truth of God is not in us, we're unable to love. You can't love in the way God loves unless the God who is the truth of love is in you. You see, the world loves a different way. The world loves by saying, if there's something about you that I really find pleasing... I love you. See, the world, even in our marriages, in our culture, we say, well, why do you love me? See, the premise of the question is wrong. There shouldn't be something about you that makes me love you. There should be something about me that makes me love you. And that something about me isn't even me. It's he in me. And this is what John is getting at. He's talking about the strength to love, the strength to love each other in the church which will be important now as we get to the second half of this in just a minute. This strengthening of the church through love is going to be very important when he talks about uh, the problems, one of the other issues that he wrote this church about. And then the last point would be the benefits of his truth are this grace, mercy, and peace. And this is we receive it and we extend it one to another. If I give you grace, I overlook whatever. If I give you mercy, if I think you deserve something, I don't give it to you. If I have peace and I extend my peace, I encourage you. I come alongside and tell you that's not worth worrying about. God is bigger than that. And so these are the results of this sort of cascade of things. The truth, God, the truth, Jesus, is in you. Not a truth, the truth. If it's in you, you can love. And in that love comes grace, mercy, and peace. And it's one for another. It's in the church. It's to strengthen us and build us up. And that's just in the greeting that's just in the greeting and sort of that opening little section. He hasn't really got to the meat or the real reason he wrote this letter yet. He does encourage uh, as part of this greeting. He says, hey, I'm, I'm, he says, I'm excited and delighted to, to know that uh, you're walking in the way. Remember we read that's in the, uh, verse 4. He said, I'm just, that's great. But I think it's interesting that he does say, and you don't see this in any other letter. He says, I, you know, I, I, I rejoice that some of you are walking in the way. The way being the commandment that he's, that he's uh, telling, to, reminding them here. 
which tells me by default some of them aren't, which I think is a little odd. If I were going to write a letter, if we were going to write a letter as life community to one of our church plants in Africa, and, we, and then we got a report back, and clearly John had heard something back because he's saying, he, you know, I, I'm glad to hear this is happening. Uh, if we got a report back and they said, man, seven out of ten people in these churches are on fire, man. It's spreading like crazy. They're all over it. Our letter to them would not be, well, it's pretty cool that some of you are doing it. We'd be like, that's amazing. You guys are the best. That's not what John says here. He goes, I'm, I'm, I rejoice that some of you are in the way. But that leaves just, it's like a question mark just hanging. You're like, oh, what's that about? And I think we're going to see that when we get to the rest of his letter. Jesus himself actually talked about this kind of love. This kind of, what, is this, what does this godly love look like in us and how do we express it to others? When he was approached in Matthew 22, he was approached by what, what the scripture calls a lawyer. And of course, this lawyer was put forward by the Pharisees and Sadducees that were trying to trap Jesus into some kind of, get him to say something about a rule or a law that was on the books that he, they could twist against him. And, and they came and asked Jesus, they said, what's the, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And this is Jesus' response. This is beautiful. Listen to this. Because he says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That means there's no commandment before it. It's the first. Everything else is after it. And he says, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law. Everything else that was written about what's right and wrong can be summed up and falls under the authority of these two commandments that he gives. We are to be at a place where God is preeminent preeminent above what you want, what you think about your family. You have to love God more than your wife, more than your kids. God is preeminent. What God desires must become what you desire. You shouldn't be seeking anything except what God is having you seek. That's how, that's, that's the first commandment. Heart, mind, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Oh, and by the way, because of that, you'll have this love in you. You're supposed to then share that outwards to others in the exact same way. Put others above yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I had a need and I needed help and I called a brother and I knew they already had plans, what would I desire? I'm calling them because I want them to set aside their plans and help me. Which means, if I'm going to love my neighbor in the same way, if I get a call but I had a plan, I'm not saying everything's breakable. If you got to go to a, I wouldn't say I'd skip your wedding to go help your neighbor pull out his bathtub. Okay, I'm not saying that. What, but what I'm saying is, if there's a need and you can set aside something that's maybe not as urgent as we sometimes think it is to go help your brother, we're called to do that. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. Blowing him off isn't loving him. Coveting his wife, that's not loving him. All those things that, that we can draw, that we can, that we can call sin or wrongdoing, if you, if you measure it against this standard that says love your neighbor as yourself, what you're going to find is every, every sin you can find breaks that standard. And then because God is even above that, anytime you sin against your neighbor, you sin against God. And God would say, really, you've just sinned against me vicariously through your neighbor. So uh, two points out of this section are this. 
and I got ahead of myself a little bit, if we know the truth, who's the truth? Jesus. And when we say Jesus, we mean the Godhead, right? But Jesus, Jesus is identified as the truth. If we know the truth, we will walk in love. Now we can, or we might, or we should. If we know the truth, if he is in you, if he abides in you, you'll walk in love. And if we love, it must be founded in his truth. Not like the world loves. I can't put some, I can't put some measure out there. Some, oh, you're lovable, so I'll love you. See, the way the world loves, if I, I'll put myself in the place of the world. The way I love is, it's about me. I love based on how it makes me feel. I love based on whether you please me, whether you did something to me. Does it make me happy? What a broken word. What a twisted word we use in our world every day, happy. God has nothing to do with happy. He wants joy. Doesn't mean you won't have happiness, but we pursue it like it's some, like it's some, some great treasure to have, and it is not. It will defeat you and let you down every single time. So right now, what John has done is he set this up. He says, look, I'm just reminding you of this thing. And this thing is love one another. God commands it. How can you love one another? We love one another because God abides in us and always will. If he's in us, we love. It's just a thing. And it's truth. Truth and love can't be separated. You can't have truth without love. You can't have love without the truth. Because Jesus is that truth. So he sets all that up. And then he takes this hard left and he changes everything in the tone of the letter and, and the whole topic. So I think what he's done is he's building people up, reminding them how they're going to be strong together in this love because he's going to show them a battle they're going to have to fight. And so it's this. He, he immediately jumps into this warning about false teachers, teachers coming in with a false doctrine. In that day, it happened to be a specific thing where, where people were now trying to preach that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. It wasn't really God in that body. Jesus was a great teacher, maybe a prophet, but he wasn't really God in the flesh. And that's the false doctrine that's going around. I can see why it came up, because that's a pretty easy doctrine to subscribe to if the doctrine of Jesus really was God gets you boiled in oil. Can you see how you can go there? You can say, well, he was a great prophet because he sure acted like one. Yeah, he had the power of God because he healed people, but he wasn't God. Because if I say that, then they're going to stream me upside down on a cross or kill my kids or whatever. That persecution. I can see why people want to run there, but I can also see why people in the church then would want to run there. See, what's happening is we have this, so this love picture, and it's all pretty and everything we painted, and that's good. I'm not going to poo-poo that, but the way we love one another is very enticing to the world. They see a hospitality that they can't offer. The world has nothing similar to what we're supposed to have in the way we love each other. There's nothing they can offer that's even close. The kind of, I, I had an example, here's an example. Between services, I got approached by uh, um, a lady who has a family thing going on, and it's a big deal, and um, we talked for a second, and she said, man, just just keep my family member in your prayers. And I said, hey, let's pray right now. Let's do it. And so we stopped right then and we just prayed. We prayed out loud. We, we, we offered that up to God. Where does the world have anything similar to that? Where you can go to somebody and you can say, hey, give me some hope. Join together with me in bringing hope to this situation. Their world has nothing like that. But we are very hospitable and open. 
And I think that these false teachers were using that as a, as a, a segue to come in. He would say, hey, these people are really open. They're very, they embrace new people. Um, and it gave them a, a, a way to get influence, to gain some traction in the body. So they would come in and they would gain traction because they knew we were very receiving and open and loving people. We didn't want to reject people right out of the door. And so they would start in with their false doctrines, hoping they could gain some traction. And then, so this is where uh, John addresses this, starting back up in verse 7. And, and it's, it's a sudden change. He's like, oh yeah, love, 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 God loves us. Oh, and by the way, bam. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who gets on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Are you, are you hearing that? If you're not abiding in the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. But whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And I would submit, and the Holy Spirit, um, because they're inseparable. Uh, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh is what, we're, is what he's kind of addressing. If you, they don't have this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Now this doesn't mean, you, this doesn't mean they can't come and hear the word or the testimony of the church. This means a welcoming in. Don't bring them into your small group and help them and, and, and start letting them teach and have significant impact. Don't give them a voice in your body that has an impact. Don't bring them into your house in that way. That's what he's saying. For whoever greets him, and this is means taking in like that, which means you're going to receive. For you to do that, you're going to have to have some agreement. Don't agree with them to the point that you're saying, yeah, you can come on in. You're, you're really part of us. You're really just like us. Because it's, it's not true. He says, if you do that, whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. You become as accountable as they are to God for the mistruth and the lie that will be presented on, the, on their behalf. Now, John sends this letter. Of course, there's nothing new about people uh, having false do doctrines and teaching um, untruths about God. That's been happening since the days of Noah and all through Jesus' life. And Jesus rebuked many people that were teaching false truths about him. And now, of course, after Jesus has ascended, it's continuing on. But in this time, we talked about this intense persecution from the outside world. How easy would it be to just give a little bit on what you, what you the truth. I mean, just, I mean, come on, if I could just slip on this one little area, the Romans could be off my back. I mean, it, it could go easier for me. I may be able to get a job and feed my family. and It's all those kinds of things. But what really, if you have 99% truth and 1% lie, the whole thing is an outright denial of the truth. The truth can't be watered. It's either truth or not. But that's what the enemy does. He comes in, he takes the truth that God establishes, and he bends it. So one little piece of it, he's going to say, ah, that can't, that's not. And he, it, he's an angel of light. He makes it seem so good. He's like, hey, and by the way, if you believe this, it's going to go easy for you. I got an easy path, man. All that, those guys at work that are making fun of you, they'll stop. You'll just be able to go to work and do your thing and come home and not feel like you're oppressed all day. Just, just bend on this one point. How hard is it? I mean, what's, that's what he does. 
That's his ploy. It's always been his ploy. He did it in the garden. Did God really say? And then he quoted what God actually said, but he threw in an extra thing. Nor touch it. Well, God didn't say you can't touch it. He said don't eat it. But, but, God, but Satan threw in this extra piece, and now the truth becomes non-truth. It's a lie. The whole thing was a lie. If part of it's a lie, all of it is a lie. And here's why accepting a little piece of lie in your truth, here's why this is, is bad on a couple of primary points. Number one is that, yes, it may give you some, some short-term relief in your current circumstance, but it has no hope whatsoever for you when you go through trials in this life. There is no strength, no leaning, no, nothing to be gained, nothing to lift you up. There's no joy whatsoever in a lie about Christ when he's not, if you don't have the real, if you don't have the real Jesus, you got nothing. And let me tell you, whether you're a believer or not, whether you're part of the, part of the kingdom or outside the kingdom makes no difference. This world will be giving you a lifelong beatdown. It's what this world does. Trials will come. You are not immune to trials because you're a believer. You don't get worse trials if you're not a believer. But as a believer, when, you, when the trial comes, you have something that doesn't move, a foundation that's firm that you can stand on. Man, if you're not, you got nothing, man. You're just blown all over the place. That's the first error in this kind of, well, I'll take a little truth and just bend it a little because then the whole thing's a lie. And the second part is, in the big scope of eternity, are you ready to cash in everything that that means, the spending eternity with, with the one who created you, the place, the way it was supposed to? you ready to throw that all away for this one little speck in time, for a little ease right here? Are you going to be penny wise and trillion dollar foolish? Because that speck in time is nothing. Nothing compared to eternity. And Satan comes and he wants you to focus on right now, today. The pain can stop today. Man, you got eternity, billions and billions. I sound like Isaac Asimov. Billions and billions of years, uh, what we call time. Forever, you're you're going to have a result based on whether you decided to be comfortable right now. Or you looked and said, no, 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 there's a bigger prize. There's a bigger game at hand than whether I feel happy or comfortable or appeased right this minute. See, there is no hope for your future if you receive the lie. Because a little lie is all lie. It's just the way it is. What a foolish position. And so John is saying, hey, don't turn away from what you've worked for. Now, those people in that day worked probably way harder than we're working to be able to study the Word. They probably had to hide text in boxes, secret meetings, and all those things that we talked about. We can do it. You can do it in your living room. You can do it in front of the courthouse. So the question is this. Are you working for it? Have you, have you achieved something? Is there something that you've worked for that's worth losing at this point? Because John addressed it. He said, hey, don't, don't give up that that you've worked for. What's he talking about? What does he mean? What is it they've worked for? And it's, here's what it is. It's attaining the knowledge of God. It's every day as a believer. What am I called to do? I'm called to love. How do I love? Well, I can love because the truth is in me. How does the truth get in me? 
Well, first of all, he's present. Remember we talked about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, what's his job? His job, and Jesus said this, will teach you, every, teach you all things and remind you of everything I taught. How can the Holy Spirit remind you of something you've never learned to begin with? You see, it's incumbent on us to learn, to work, to have something that's worth losing. And we do it by knowing God, by knowing Him. We know Him through His Word. So spend time in the Word. Go back and read Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. Yeah, you might go, well, they're kind of boring. Not really. It's like, it's like make, it makes a, a stinking day show, these soap operas, look like nothing, man. There's backstabbing. There's all kinds of affairs. There's all kinds of kings being murdered. I mean, it's exciting stuff, and it really happened. So don't think it's boring, but you need to know. You need to know who Abraham was. You need to know what that means when Abraham was going to sacrifice his son and God called it off at the last second. What does that story mean? How does that describe God to you? If you understand that story, you'll know God better, and that's what he wants. You need to know what the New Testament means. Who was Jesus? Who was, who was Mary? What's the lineage of Jesus, and why is that important? How is that prophetic thing so amazing? Well, if you don't study, you'll never know. And if you don't know the truth... When the lie comes, how will you tell? How can you tell the lie if you don't know the truth? And I would submit you can't. If you don't know the truth, you won't recognize the lie. And if you don't know the truth, when the lie comes along, it's a very high probability you'll receive it. And you'll be off in some crazy thing because you weren't grounded to begin with. And that's what John was getting at. The first First half of this is truth in love. Love one another. How can we best love one another? We can sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron. I love you best when I call you to be your best in Christ. You love me best when you do the same. What if I were up here today and I was lying to you the whole time? What if all this is just made up? I just, I had to preach. I was up. I had, it was on the calendar. I had to do something. Are you just going to take what I say today with certainty? Or are you going to go home and check it? Because that's what we have to do with these false teachers that come in. You hear something new to your ears, you go, I'm not sure I heard that before. It seems plausible. But don't run with it. Go check it. Balance it against Scripture. And if you're not sure what the Scripture says about it, find a brother and sister. Don't go through it alone. That's the whole point of the church. That's what John's saying here. Love one another. If you have a need, you have a need. Go find a brother or sister that can that can wade through the scriptures with you and, and fight through to find the truth of what God says. And then if that thing that that person, a new guy is saying, doesn't line up with that, it's out. Just cut it out. It has no bearing. It's only going to be there to destroy you and pull you away from the truth. And without the truth, you can't love. It's this common theme. I, I sound like I'm just a broken record. Truth and love and truth and love. Because that's what John was doing. So that's how we become strong. That's how it is. We attain something that John says, hey, don't lose it. Hold on fast to what you've learned, to the commandments you know. And the primary commandment is love God and then love your neighbor. Because if you're doing that, everything else is covered. If you love God and love your neighbor, you're not going to murder. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to have any other gods before him. And all those things on the list and all the other 470 or whatever rules and laws they had, if you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, none of those things are going to come into play because you're not going to do them because that's not love. But you can't do that unless you have truth. The truth. The truth, which is Christ in you.
And so John lays down this pretty good test in this passage. It's, it's like, hey, if what you're believing, the truth that you say you're holding on to, is it making you love more? Because if it's not, then it's a false truth. It's not real. And the love you say you have for somebody, is it based on the way you feel? Or is it based on God's truth? Because if it's based on how you feel, it's not real love. The world throws around love like it's just some worthless word. God loves in a way that has everything to do with choosing to love. It has nothing to do with the way I feel. Or, I mean, if that were the case, if, if, God wouldn't have saved anybody. Because he's got to feel pretty bad about how wretched we've become down here. But he didn't. He chose. And then finally, so, so that's the two, the two parts. It's like, hey, remember your commandments. Remember how to love each other. Be the church. Love one another. Bond together. Be strong so that when a false thing comes in, you're able to go there and rely on each other. Don't go to a brother who's teaching a false doctrine one-on-one. -on -one. Take a brother or sister with you. Get together and pray and read first. Be prepared. Go together. You don't have to go, go it alone. Don't be hateful. But it's, let me tell you this. It's not hate, I don't care what the media says or anybody else says, it is not hateful to stand on truth. You'll be called hateful if you stand on truth. If you say a truth, I don't want to be controversial, but it comes to mind. Homosexuality is, is a sin. It doesn't mean we hate those people, and it's not hateful to say God says it's wrong. And we need to quit being embarrassed or afraid to say it. We're going to get persecution. But you have an option. You can deny it. You can deny it and get out. But that's not what God calls. God calls us to stand in the truth. Because only then we can love. You have to know the truth to identify the lie. And then John closes like this. He, he, so there's, it's pretty common. You do an opening greeting, and then a body of a letter, and then a closing greeting. And in his closing, he actually says, man, I got a lot more to say, but I don't want to do it on pen and paper. We should do this face to face. So he's probably talking about some deep heady stuff that actually may be a little awkward on paper. He wants to make sure they get the right message. And he says this, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face that our joy may be complete. See, there's joy, even if it's a hard message, but if it's truth and love in truth, it's joy. It's not, it's not anything else. And then he says, the children of your elect sisters greet you. And so this, again, would refer to some other church that he's writing from. And that's just a way that they commonly use to refer to those. So now we kind of finish the message. And what happens is they come out and sing. And we sing a song. And we're going to do that. So, and I love worshiping at the end. I think it's great. But, but I want to challenge a couple of groups here. So there's some people here, I'm sure, that don't know the truth. And when I say that, I mean Jesus. And maybe you're looking for the truth because you've already probably found a lot of different truths. But those, each of those was just a truth, not the truth. And they might have been false anyway. And you're thinking, where do I even find such a truth? How can there be a truth that I can find? Well, I got good news. Jesus is the truth. See, Jesus said, I'm the way. He's the way to the truth. He said, I am the truth. So he's the truth. And then he's the life that springs from that truth. He's got it all. And you can have it. You just got to ask. You just got to receive it. He said, I've already done the work, man. Remember we talked about um, uh, paying for your penalty. Je you know, Jesus said, hey, you got a debt you can't pay, man. 
And, and you can't. You can try, but you couldn't do it. And he says, and I understand that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut in line and pay for it for you. And then when you get, when you get up there, there'll be nothing. You won't owe anything. It's all, everything that you were purchasing yourself, everything that you, that you want to own in yourself can be bought by God through Jesus. And then you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to pay for your existence here. Jesus paid for it for you when he died. Hey, when we sing, come down here. There are people that we call our, our prayer team. They're going to be down here. And guess what? They may not even know you, but they love you. And why do they love you? Because the truth is in them. And they are called to love you. It's, a, it's just this crazy thing. And they're willing to pray for you. And they're excited for you. They're not judging you. They're loving you. But there'll be a truth. If it's not in truth, it's not love. So I encourage you to come down if that's you. And, and, and There's nothing magical about this space. But if you get up and move, it really helps your faith. I'm just telling you from experience. There's something about getting up and making a move. It feels more committal. So that's one group. And the other group is those of us that are believers who have really slacked off on getting to know God. Are we spending, really spending time praying? Really. I don't mean praying over your lunch or praying when we have a family gathering or praying before the worship team goes out or whatever. I'm talking about every day, getting down with God and say, hey, this is in my life. I want to know you. I want to know how you want me to do this because you're preeminent. If I love you with all my heart, mind, and strength, show me how that is. Give me that strength. Help me to love my neighbor. Really pray. Teach me about you, God. Let your Holy Spirit open, open the words of your scriptures to me, which means you better be in the scriptures. And if you're not doing that, that's okay. It, it's not, you, you're not going to get punished for what's happened now, but moving forward, now you know. Do it. You can pick it up today and just start off. Read about who God is, how he's been, he's been planning to love us and showing us his love from the beginning, and then how he culminated it, but there's still more love to go. We have an ending that is beyond our imagination. Unless we fixate on our one little speck in time and give it all away. Don't do that. It's not worth it. I mean, you may have indigestion this afternoon, but it's not the end of the world. Because there's tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So as we worship, think about these things. Come down and pray and give it to God.